Hi, and welcome to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. Let's take a look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. Happy Father's Day here on June 18th. Hope all the fathers out there are getting a chance to relax. Maybe, you know, not mow the lawn or run around like I have been today. I'm a father of uh, six, father of five, really, but three boys and two um, stepdaughters. And my gosh, if you is a dad, it's amazing. On a day you think you might be able just to sleep in, next thing you know, you're up at 6.45 running around like crazy. But we love to do it. We're dads. We, we love it. We get some Band-Aids at the end of the day. Red wine helps. Red wine helps. But anyways, I hope everybody out there is having a wonderful, wonderful Father's Day out there. To all the fathers out there. And, you know, Father's Day is special in Cleveland, not just because it's Father's Day, which is obvious. You want to celebrate Father's Day here in Cleveland, Ohio. But it's also a time to be excited about history and historical moments. And there's nothing that beats what happened back in 16 in the NBA Finals when the Cavaliers finally, after not winning a championship since 1964 with Jim Brown and the Cleveland Browns, finally ended a 52-year drought by beating the Golden State Warriors, heavily favored Golden State Warriors, four games to three, First time and only time in the NBA Finals, the team came back from 3-1 to win the NBA Finals. Love saying that. Love saying that. The Cavs set all sorts of records, but that was one of them too. Up until that point in the NBA Finals history, no one had ever come back from 3-1, but our Cleveland Cavaliers did. And they ended a lot of misery. They ended a lot of pain frustration, almost had it, to Charlie Brown bad, to everything in between. And it was everything in between. Boy, they had some moments with the Browns in the 80s. And, you know, I directed a film called Believe Land, and we went through all these moments in, in 2016, ironically. We went through the 97 loss, the 95 loss to the Braves briefly went into the years of the Cavaliers where they had LeBron. They couldn't quite get past some teams. They did get past the Pistons one year, but lost to the Spurs. They got swept. Wasn't very competitive. And they eventually got back to Eastern Conference Finals, losing both years back-to-back. And then eventually when they lost to the Celtics, that kind of sealed the deal. That was kind of the beginning of the end. And it really shook down the thunder of the core to our to our Cavs uh, in Cleveland fandom. You know, that's so remarkable by what, you know, looking back at that time, 2016, after LeBron left and after the decision happened on that television show, you know, it was very gut-wrenching. I mean, LeBron, who's from Akron, Drafted by the Cavs, number one overall, winning the lottery. The Cavs, as a Cavs fan, it was very hurtful to have to see and have to watch LeBron James leave. It just broke our spirit. It really did. It broke our spirit. I was very, very down at the end of 2010. And then to go on to watch what happened in parallel, the Heat went on to four straight NBA Finals, winning two championships. And the Cavaliers became a laughing laughing stock. 
Couldn't do anything. Had some really, really lean years. The only thing that we knew and the only thing that we could tell, the only thing that always happened for us Cavs was that we got lottery picks. And we did. We got lottery picks. But that was about it. I mean, we didn't win anything else. But we won lottery picks. We won Kyrie Irving. We won Tristan Thompson. And we started to get back some assets. And we started to build on some assets. We got Anthony Bennett, who people don't even probably say, who the heck is that? Well, it's because he didn't really do much in his NBA career, but he was number one overall pick from UNLV. And then eventually we got Andrew Wiggins. And we headed into the offseason of 2014. And it was, it was weird. There's was a bunch of rumors. The Cavs had a bunch of money to spend. And it was kind of up in the air of how they were going to spend it. Wasn't there was a couple of free agents and the, the Cavaliers were looking at, but you really didn't hear the name LeBron James. You didn't hear that. Just didn't seem like something that would happen. And really, shortly after the Fourth of July, it seemed to happen quick in fourteen. All of a sudden, a quick rumor here and there he might come back, and then whammo! I mean, whammo! The SA article came back and he decided he was going to come back to Cleveland, Ohio. And the famous, you know, for Sports Illustrated cover article says coming home. And that was a huge, huge day in our history of this championship. That day when he said, I'm coming back. Changed everything. July 11th, everything changed. And the Cavaliers started to build what they were going to become a championship dynasty. Not a championship dynasty, but an Eastern Conference dominant power. And it also, it was amazing. When that happened, I was shocked. Every Even like Dean Wade, I'm sorry, not Dean Wade, Dwayne Wade, recently sent an article, even I was surprised he went back to Cleveland. It's something we never thought was going to happen when he played for the Miami Heat. I mean, that was a good buddy. That's the reason why he went down to play for Miami. He went down there to go play with Dwayne Wade and eventually Chris Bosh. And in fact, Bosh and Wade paired up first, and then they waited, to, they waited for LeBron to join later. And that's how that happened. But in 14, on July 11th, it all changed. It got back LeBron. It was it was shocking for people who don't remember. It was not likely. You heard a little rumor here and there. And gosh, my, he, you know, you heard a little banter, but it wasn't really picked up nationally. It wasn't to the point where it became a belief or a real storyline. It was more weird r- rumors, I would call it. Like, yeah, maybe, but I don't think so. And no one would really report on him coming back. So because of that, when he got and he came back to Cleveland, it was shocking. It was shocking. Shocking. I will never forget it. I was floored. I had just took it over and I was getting ready to direct to film Believe Land. And I was shocked about what I had learned. And I couldn't believe what I heard. And I couldn't believe either that, you know, on top of us getting LeBron James, which is so exciting because he's from Northeast Ohio, because he is one of our people. He understands. He's an Ohioan. 
from Northeast Ohio. He understands who we are. Grew up in this area, knows what we are as fans. Not surprised. A lot of Cleveland, a lot of Northeast Ohio and LeBron James. He'll always claim he's from Akron, which I understand, but there's a lot of Northeast Ohio. And as there should be, he was born and raised here. But in, in 14, it just flipped so quickly. And then immediately, as soon as LeBron James got signed, we heard the rumors and didn't happen as fact. Kevin Love was coming to the Cavs, being traded for draft picks, Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, some future ones, and we got Kevin Love, and that was the right decision. Kevin Love really added a lot, as we all learned later on. Love, Kyrie, Christian Thompson, LeBron James. Those were our standard four. Then, you know, they made some other moves throughout time. They got J.R. Smith eventually, Amon Shumpert, Richard Jefferson down the line, Matthew Delvadova, Timothy Mozgov. These are all pieces they added. But it really, the, the starting five for the most part on most nights, not every night, but on most nights, was really a combination of those four with J.R. Smith. You may have seen some other people come in and out of there, but that was basically the four. And in 14, we just, I mean, just celebrated his return and just took off. Um, they played in the NBA Finals. That NBA Final, that NBA Championship run was very bizarre because they had beaten the Celtics handily, but before they did, they lost Kevin Love for the season on a, all I can say to this day still, I thought it was an intentional foul by Kelly Olenek. I don't think he made any kind of basketball move still to this day. I'm sure Kelly Olenek has called and asked to be forgiven, but that was a terrible play where he took out basically Kevin Love for the season, and he did. Ripped his shoulder. And then later on in the playoffs, we learned Kyrie Irving was hurt, and he was very hurt, and he ended up not playing very much in the NBA Finals at times. And there's a whole drawn-out situation with he and his dad. So basically, heading into the NBA Finals, after game one, no Kyrie, basically, and no Love. And they still went to six games. It's amazing. They lost. Warriors won. But all, all of us as Cleveland fans kind of said the same thing. It's like just amazing we got here because of all the injuries. With I mean, you cannot lose. I mean, think about today's time. You can't lose a Kevin Love inner Kyrie Irving and expect to win the NBA Finals, even with LeBron. And the Cavs almost did it still, but they didn't. I fell short winning, winning only two games out of the six. The Warriors were on their way. But that offseason, you know, everybody said, wait till next year, wait till next year, which is a very common theme in Cleveland sports throughout time. Wait till next year, wait till next year. Oh, wait, we got to next year. Patience. Patience in Cleveland, Ohio. You don't pass the salt, you pass the patience. So you must have patience as a Cavalier and Cleveland fan. And we had patience. We waited. And then the 15-16 season really became, you know, the storyline from 14-15 was all about LeBron's return and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And there's other storylines for sure. There's other things that we saw. There was other things that happened in the 14-15 season, I want to say that. But it really was from start to finish. It was all about the Cleveland Cavaliers with the return of LeBron James. That's what this, That's what the whole season felt like. We as Clevelanders lived it, so we're obviously more in a vacuum. But that's all – I don't remember too many other storylines happening that year. 
in 15 and 16, the storylines were not just about that. It more became, which I thought it really helped the Cavaliers because obviously because of LeBron returning the year before, it wasn't as newsworthy that he was still playing in Cleveland. But really that whole season, what was the storyline was what was going on with the Warriors. The Warriors were having an historic, not just a normal, hey, they're having a big year. They were having an historic season. They were on fire. They were to the point where they were breaking records. They shattered a lot of records that year. And the Cavaliers along the way did not have the cleanest of runs. They had to look, they had to release their coach. We forget that. What we did. David Blatt, midway through the season, was gone. Tyron, Tyron Liu took over. And as that was going on in the background, the you know, the Cavs, you know, they did their thing. They kept they kept winning, but it it, it was really about the Warriors. The Warriors were breaking records, they're being compared to the historic Bulls, and as they should have been. And they just took over. I mean, they really did. They just took over. They just went on a run, 73-9. They were an incredibly tough team. And they looked unbeatable. They did. They looked like it, they looked like it was going to be very, very tough to beat. But you know what? They figured it out. The, the Warriors got to the finals and the Cavs got in there and they were heavy underdogs and they were doing a lot of interviews that um, leading up to that finals. And no one thought, no one thought that the Warriors were going to lose. No one. I mean, they were heavy, heavy favorites in the 16 finals. To win as many games as they did, to have the best regular season ever in NBA history, they were looked upon very favorably to win. I thought the one thing that really helped the Cavs and it really, I thought, crept up on the Warriors quietly, maybe more than we had re- we, what we had realized was the pressure that the Warriors were facing being that marked team. And they were. They were a marked team. They really were. And so because of that, they had, and because they played in the West, they had a much harder road, and I think that kind of wore the Warriors down a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. But as we got into the NBA Finals, especially after the first two games, first two games were not very competitive. They weren't. The Cavs were down 2 nothing like that. And then they got Game 3, and then Game 4 changed everything. Draymond Green got way too over-aggressive, definitely punched. LeBron James in the area you don't ever want to get punched at as a guy. Private area. <laughs> no good. Can't happen. Next thing you know, that that whole complexity of the series changed. It did. The Draymond Green punch did change everything that happened. Changed everything. Because for about, I mean, for the first three games, it was pretty, pretty solidified. Cavs lost by 15. Cavs lost. I mean, game two was just below out. That was by 33. Game three, Cavs returned serve. They won by 30. Game four, it was competitive. It was competitive. But eventually the Warriors pulled away and won by 11. 
But that Draymond Green um, punch did change things. But remember in that NBA Finals, too, for people who want to forget, Kevin Love was hurt in that, in that NBA Finals. And then Game 5 was the march to the championship, down 3-1. They won in Golden State by double digits. Kyrie and LeBron both went off for 40-plus. Game Game 6, even though it was competitive at times, and Draymond Green was back, it really broke the Warriors back in that game because you could feel the momentum piling on. Kevin Love was starting to get healthy. Anthony Bogut was out for the rest of the finals. That was a big injury. The injury, which did, which at times going into the series, looked to be favoring the Warriors. Warriors looked like a healthier team. That had flipped. That had changed. Kevin Love was back. And so were the Cavaliers. And they went tied. And you could, you could always feel in that situation... I remember saying a fire, um, and actually Kevin Love came back in um, in game five. Might have even came back in game four, but I don't think he did. Uh, no, he did not. So he came back in game five. So Love played play in game five. One game five. Bogo was out for the rest of the series. Going into game six, blowout. But I remember in the blowout, th- that's when you could start seeing the tilting of the Warriors and the greatness of LeBron James. LeBron James was unbelievable in Game 5, but Kyrie Irving was just as good. But in Game 6, LeBron was un- LeBron James was unbelievable. Un- unbelievable in Game 6. He was just spectacular. Spun the ball in his finger good. He did things. He moved around the ball. He frustrated to the point where Kyrie, where, um, where Steph Curry basically threw his mouthpiece in the crowd. He was so frustrated. And then Game 4, no one will ever forget, ever forget, the block, LeBron and Iguodala, and then, of course, the shot by Kyrie Irving. Free throw, makes it four, and away we go. 93-89. But that championship team is very, very important. It ended a long, terrible legacy of losing in Cleveland, Ohio. It ended a long legacy of frustration. It ended a long, long tone of not good enough, not there. And LeBron James in the 2016 Cavs turned it all around. And that it was just Camelot. It was Camelot that night in downtown Cleveland. I was there. And it was Camelot for that parade. I, will, I know people will bring up different moments in time. To me, the 16 finals, we were all friends. All of us. It unified the city. It's too bad the Cavs couldn't win back in 17 or 18. But that 16 finals was so special. And it wasn't perfect. Like I said, Love wasn't playing. Love was hurt. Yet the Cavs grinded it out, found a way to win four games in seven. They figured it out. They did what they had to do to win. And that championship should always be held in such a high regard. That championship means a lot to us as Clevelanders. Family and friends were crying that night. I was crying that night. It was just an amazing moment. It ended so much hate and negativity. And at one moment in that time, we were finally champions. We were finally the winners. It made us forget for a night Michael Jordan, John Elway. Greg Council, 
made us forget about all those guys, made us just forget, made us allowed to enjoy and our time to be the champions, our time to run down and get the trophy. And we enjoyed it appropriately. And the celebration for the city is something I've never seen before or since. It exploded, absolutely exploded as a city. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. 2016 Cavs, again, they won on June 19th, which is now Juneteenth, which is a big historical great holiday, which is tomorrow, Monday. So here on Sunday is the 18th. But we should all, all, always, always remember, never forget how special and how much of a man. It takes a lot of pressure. It changed the whole narrative as Cleveland fans. It really did. The whole country was rooting against the Warriors. 2016, never, ever, ever forget. It was a special, special, special time. I'll tell you how special it was. I spent a lot of time with Ernest Spiner, who could have easily, easily said, you know, I don't need this. I don't care. Leave me in my home in Nashville, Andy. He came and wanted to be a part of all of it. You know why? Because it meant that much to him as well. Him being at the parade, him going on the float, him being a part of history, even as a spectator, meant that much to that guy. It meant that much to all of us. That's why you had the crowds. That's why Cleveland is a sports city and always will be a sports city. Be thankful for the Cavs. Changed everything. Even for all, you might get frustrated with LeBron. Don't ever, ever forget 16 Cavs. I thank LeBron every day. We come back, Cleveland Guardians. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. If you love sports and you love good coverage of the three teams, the Guardians, the Browns, and the Cavaliers, check out BelieveInTheLand.com. That is BelieveInTheLand.com. We also have a YouTube page titled Believe in the Land Channel. Check us out. Also, if you love instantaneous sports, sports updates, the latest news, what is going on with our three teams and the Buckeyes, the football, go to on Instagram, at Official Cleveland Sports. That is at Official Cleveland Sports. Check us out. And again, the company, the media company is called Believe in the Land. We do a lot of articles. We do a lot of written word. Also do things around the city of Cleveland. Food, trends, things that are going on in the city. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Believe in the land. Okay, the Guardians. As we go to the Guardians real quickly, I just want to say something again about 16. The 16 Cavs had so much pressure on their shoulders. It was immense. It was like elephants for them to pull off what they did. And how they did it. And how they overcame all the... As we were breathing down our necks, the 16 Cavs had to feel like it was suffocating going down 3-1. I know I did as a simple you know, peon who's getting interviewed on what to say. You can only imagine what it must have felt like being a Cavalier. But they they overcame it. They came back and obviously did the, the unthinkable. First time... First time any team ever overcame a 3-1 deficit in the NBA Finals to come back and win and ended the drought. It was so important. Sometimes it doesn't get remembered enough in this town. That's how special 
that team is. That's how special, and they are special. That's how special they are. They ended everything. They changed the narrative of how the national writers and everybody reviewed the city. Everyone was cheering for the Cavs. Everyone. And to have to overcome that, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure for them to overcome that and still win the NBA Finals with an historical run that the Warriors were on. Warriors would have won four straight if it wasn't for the Cavs. Cavs would have won two in a row if they didn't lose Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. They would have won in 15 and 16. But they won once, and that one championship is so, so precious and important. Don't ever forget and underestimate how important that championship was as a Cleveland Bear. Don't. It's that important. Changed everything. And this city does have a lot of good things running for it. But this is a sports town. We love our teams. We love to win. We have a lot of focus on these teams more than any other city, in my opinion. It's everything. That's how important the 16 Cavaliers were. They really were. So now we're going to the present. It's been 64 since since the Browns have won. It's been 48 for the Indians, now Guardians. 75 years. Goal. You get into those golden anniversaries, which is something you don't want to in sports. 75 years now since the last time they won. And there's been a busy week for the Guardians off the field. There's been a lot of deck shuffling. So we got to get to the deck shuffling first because it's going to affect how the Guardians go from here. They are not having one of their better weeks right now. But I'd actually say for the first time, this is the week that's either going to turn this season, set some new standards that will give the Guardians the run they need, or they're going to look back on this as just another messy week in a time where really nothing changed when it came to when it came to what the Guardians were going to do in October. But I don't get the feeling that's a, that, that's the case here. Because the, the Guardians had some major, major changes. Major changes that are going to affect this season and I think next season. I'll explain why here in a second. The big, the big injury, though, first is Tristan McKenzie's arm. His arm is hurt. He is back on the IL. He only made two starts. That is a big loss. That is a big loss for the Guardians. McKenzie admitted later that he felt something when he was rehabbing in one of his starts, but he didn't want to say anything because he said, again, that's very typical. When you're coming back from injury, he said, look, I just, I, I have little tweaks and burns and I didn't think much of it, which is very understandable from his perspective. But uh, he did have more than just a little tweak. And sadly for him and sadly for the Guardians, he came up uh, not feeling good the Thursday before his Friday start in Arizona. They did an MRI on Friday night, and it came back with a right elbow issue. They call it right elbow strains, what they call it. But what that term means is that there is something definitely mechanically injured or wrong with his elbow, but it's nothing more than just a strain. It could be more if he presses on, obviously. Now he has to shut it down. This is now shut it. You have to shut it down. This is not a quick injury. 
if you listen or talk to anybody in the game who knows, this is something that's a multi-week injury. If it doesn't heal correctly, it could be season-ending. Because after that, the next thing you start talking about is Tommy John. So they're trying to avoid that at all costs. So to avoid that, they're going to have to shut it down. Today's, you know, in middle of June. I'd say the earliest he comes back is mid to late September. It's a long time away. July, no. August, no. Probably middle of September is probably the earliest you can see him come back. So no July, no August. You're talking two months. Probably talking 10 weeks. 10, 11 weeks. It's a long time. Changes everything. The McKenzie injury changed everything. So it sped some things up. Now you have to do a rotation of who's going to start for McKenzie because Kyle Quantrill's still on the IL. He's not back yet. So that puts in one thing in perspective first. The trading of Shane Bieber rumors, which are rampant, are going to have to be thought of in a different light now. From my perspective, I think they cool off a little bit because the Guardians really don't have five starters because Cal Quantrill's hurt right now. Now, once Cal comes back, that can change. But currently right now, the Guardians have four and a half starters. Hunter Gaddis is really not ready for primetime. Bybee is, but he's a rookie. Logan Allen is, but he's a rookie. Cal Quantrill is a starter, but he's hurt. Then you have Savali, who's just coming back from injury, too, and Shane Bieber. So think about that. You have injured pitcher on the IL, two rookies, a pitcher who's just coming back from injury himself, and you have Shane Bieber. How are you going to trade Shane Bieber? If you trade Shane Bieber, you're waving a white flag on the season now for sure. You can't survive without Shane Bieber. You can't do it. That injury just, when I'm saying survive, Going and being successful in the playoffs survive. And the Guardians are only, only, if they end up winning today against Arizona, which the game's going on right now as I tape the show, if they end up doing that, they win. They will be up in the loss column. Only, only The Twins will only be up in the loss column by two games. So the Guardians are only two games behind the loss column. You can't trade Shane Bieber and think you're going to catch the Twins, and then you're going to do well in the playoffs. It just, not, those are oxymorons. You can't equate that. can't happen. So the Tristan McKenzie injury, I thought really put into hyper-focus the Bieber trade. Now, there's some that don't believe they matter. They don't agree. I don't know if that's the case here. I don't know if it's that easy for the Guardians just to go ahead and trade Shane Bieber now. And in fact, I think it makes it very hard until the offseason. Now, the offseason, I think he's going to be traded for sure. But right now, again, you're going to go two rookies, your other starter's injured, and your other starter just came back from injury, and your other big starter, he's gone till I'd say probably realistically September. And you're going to go with three rookies? I mean, that's a lot. Guardians don't have that kind of, I just don't see it. I just can't, you cannot win that way. So to give themselves an actual chance, I think what they're going to do is keep Shane Bieber. That's what I think they're going to do. 
even though there's a lot of rampant rumors about all sorts of things happening to the Guardians right now. I don't foresee that in this team. I really don't. I just can't, can't see it. Can't see it. Can't see how you make that trade and go with, if you make that trade for Shane Bieber, you're basically going to go with three rookies. That's, that's a lot. You're not going to be able to do much in the playoffs at all. You may not make it. Midseason trades to get a big bat doesn't really do much in the during the season. The offseason is very different. I think the offseason is a much, much, much different story. And that's something that will be discussed at some point in some time. But Tristan McKenzie being out is a huge loss. And again, it really impacts what they do with Shane Bieber. And frankly, I don't know if they answered that, and I don't know if the Guardians do. Again, there's going to be a lot of talk, a lot of discussion about where and what happens with the Guardians and Shane Bieber. But because Tristan McKenzie's hurt, and that's a can't understate this, that's a huge, huge injury. All injuries are big to a starting pitcher, but that one changes. It just changes everything. To me, Shane Bieber's not an easy decision now. It's much tougher. And it was going to be a tough decision anyways. But he just can't hit send now. Can't do it. Can't do it. Makes it very, very, very tough on what the Guardians do here. But for right now, I think Shane Bieber's on the team. It's a big injury. Time will tell what happens to the guards here soon. Big injury, though. Don't underestimate that injury. Huge injury. And again, it really impacts where the Guardians go from here with Shane Bieber. We're Guardians Week. Welcome back to the Believe in Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Again, you can check out great sports content, great city of Cleveland content. It's a new media company I've launched called Believe in the Land. Go to believeintheland.com. Go to Believe in the Land on YouTube. Also go to at official Cleveland sports. If you want instantaneous analysis, as soon as the final strike, final out happens, go to at official Cleveland sports. It's all part of the believe in the land media company. Check us out. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Guardians. So we got through the Tristan McKenzie. We talked about Shane Bieber. And again, the Tristan McKenzie, that's how big of an injury. And I feel so bad for the young man. It gave that man a lot of credit. He tried to play through a pain and a tightness where he thought something he could play through. Clearly, McKenzie's a winner. Wants to win, wants to play through stuff. Couldn't do it. Obviously, it was not just a normal, you know, soreness. I mean, he had a strain. That's not good. That's not good. So when you have something like that, You have to really think about the Shane Bieber rumor about being traded as something more different now. Because it is. Trading Shane Bieber is not as easy as it once was. The other big move this week was Mike Zanino has been officially DFA'd unless something very surprisingly happens. Mike Zanino is officially leaving the Cleveland Guardians. His quick, quick Quit. I mean, he didn't really last that. He didn't. He didn't last a half season. Did not end well. Mike Zanino had a very hard time at one thing in particular that I thought really was the end of his tenure. 
he was known as a good guy. He was known as a guy who had a lot of years on him as a catcher. Very likable from what I've been told. But everything pointed to with Zanino was his defensive catching woes. And he had woes. Pass balls, getting in front of balls to stop them, getting out base runners. He just, as a catcher behind the plate, really, really struggled. And it was surprising because he was a veteran catcher. And some of the things that I saw from Zanino were, as I said, I don't, I'm not trying to be funny and being honest, like type of mistakes you would see in middle school. You wouldn't expect to see maybe in a high level high school team. You certainly wouldn't expect it in college baseball. And so you can't only, you certainly wouldn't even sniff it in the major league level, but it was sniffing. I mean, he had such a hard time with pass balls. Um, he threw multiple balls on stolen bases in the inf- on the end of the outfield. Just had a hard time. I mean, Mike Zanino, Mike Zanino just never got comfortable in Cleveland. And it cost him his job. He's going to get paid. But it cost him his job. And that was the right decision. There's now the Bo Naylor movement is here. He's in town. He's playing today against Arizona. As I do this show, he still does not have a hit. But he is here. And so there is a new era of Guardians behind the plate baseball. Uh, Bo Naylor's been up before multiple times. In 2023 season, he's only been up here a very short time, but he's back. David Fry had a good week, so I think we're going to see more of him. And then they're going to try to figure out this bullpen. And, you know, Tim Heron's back up, and it's been noted by Tito. He doesn't want to see Tim Heron go back down. He'd like to see him stay up here for good. And, and that would be a great thing. They could use Tim Heron. And then there's that other side of the story, which I just mentioned. I mean, who's the fifth starter? You would assume it's Hunter Gaddis, but we'll see. But that's what you would assume. But there's still a lot of patchwork here for the Guardians. That has to be figured out. The catcher situation, I, I would say, is, you know, you feel better, but it's not good to say you feel better about cutting your, your projected starting catcher at the start of the year. I mean, that's not a good thing. So the Guardians have some things to work on there. As for their lineup, I mean, there's some things that are in place, as we all know. You have a number one hitter in Quan, You have a number three hitter in, Joe, in um, Jose Ramirez, J-Ram. And you have a number four hitter in Josh Naylor. One, three, and four are locked. Josh Bell's a five. He's pretty much a lock. And after that, it's a guess. Rosario's definitely a two for most times. And then you have Freeman and Brennan and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Lineup below five is still being figured out. But it's a rotation of that. You're seeing some better stuff from Jimenez lately. You're seeing some better things. But as for this week, it's been a very long, testy West Coast swing. They won one game in San Diego. And as I do this game here, it's still 630 games going on very long. It looks like the Guardians are going to win against the Diamondbacks. But there is relief coming to this young team. Before the All-Star break, they play a lot of teams that they should beat. They play Kansas City. They play the A's a lot. They play the Brewers. And these are gettable, bite-sized wins. You can win those games. They are not as difficult to tackle. You play the A's 
and Milwaukee at home, both winnable series. On the road against Kansas City, on the road against Chicago, very winnable series. Your only tough opponent's Atlanta, and then you can finish off the All Star break playing four against Kansas City. To come off to play those games after coming off at Baltimore, at Minnesota, Boston at home, Houston at home, at San Diego, and at Arizona, you've gone ten and nineteen. I mean, they've survived that, and they're only going to be. They're only going to be, it looks like, two games out in the loss column. Guardians are right there. So they've been frustrating, and they've had their ups and downs, and all that's true. But there is a relief happening, and then you get to the all-star break. And to me, the Guardians feel like a team that needs to just get through these wins, start stockpiling some wins, and then get to the all-star break. Now, there is one warning label. And it is a true warning label. If the Guardians stay 500 or below in this trip, let's say in these next stretch of games where they play Oakland and Milwaukee and Kansas City twice and at the Cubs and Atlanta at home. If in this stretch of games, which is 19 again, they are a 10 and 9 again, I think then the Guardians have to start thinking, is this team for real? Is then... <clears throat> they will only be uh, four games under 500. That's not good. Now, if they get the 500 or better, which is what they should do, they should be, they should be one game under 500 at the worst. Then you can aggressively start looking at the playoffs. This is a, even though this is an easy stretch, this is a very key stretch for the front office to make decisions on how this team moves forward. It's everything right now. It really is. It's that important for these Cleveland Guardians. They have to understand what they have here moving forward. Again, this stretch of games is not, not difficult. Very, very easy. It starts at home against Oakland and home against Milwaukee. Milwaukee is not having a strong season. You should be able to win four out of two, maybe even five out of five out of six. Sorry, four out of six and five out of six. You should win those kind of games. You need to do that. Put some pressure on the Twins. And then you go on the road at Kansas City, at Chicago. You should go 4-2. Come back at home. Even if you only win one out of three against Atlanta. Okay. You should win three out of four or win four or sweep the Royals. Those kind of things. You'll start to garner a lot of games. You'll be above 500 comfortably. And all of a sudden it feels like a new season ahead. Easy stretch, but a big stretch of games coming out for the Cleveland Guardians. Huge. It's everything. Cleveland Cavaliers, NBA draft stuff, when we come back after our last segment. Welcome to the final segment here on the Believe in the Land podcast radio show. WHK, Apple Podcasts. You can get this anywhere, man. Tell your friends. Believeintheland.com. Check me out at Official Cleveland Sports. It's all... Fun stuff. My name is Andy Billman. Check it out. Cleveland Cavaliers time. Yes. The NBA season just ended. It's unbelievable the different Nuggets won the NBA Finals. But it's time to now get prepared forward. It is a quick, quick turnaround. The NBA draft is coming this week. Quick. Quick. The Cavs will be selecting in the second round, but there are rumors they might be trading back up 
into the first round. Should they do that? Well, I mean, if to get another wing player, yes, I think it is. And they need to get a wing player, not just another. They don't really have one currently. That was a big thing I had talked about and written about in BelieveInTheLand.com. Also did a Believe in the Land short podcast on the YouTube channel. And just to recap it briefly, not to make it too repetitive, you know, the Cavs really don't have a small forward wing. They just don't. They have players that can play there for short spurts. They have players in there that can play there from game to game even. Like Okoro can play, you know, a wing here and there. Karis LeVert can play there here and there. But really, that's about, think about it, that's about it. Cavs need to find more players to option at those positions. Lamar Stevens and Chetty Osman also play small forward, but those are fill-in-the-gap guys who have roles. You need a defensive spark, put in Lamar Stevens and power forward. I mean, sorry, small forward. He'll, he'll do the job. You need an offense, O for Osman. Osman will give you instant offense. But again, those are not starters. Isaac Okoro is not a starter. Karras LeVert, who I like, I think is a good cap. Is a is a combo guard should be coming off the bench. It will do a great job for you. I think he actually likes playing on the Cavaliers. And has said that publicly. Wants to play in Cleveland. Is from Ohio. Like it. Even though he went to school in Michigan. I like Karras LeVert. I like that a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. So will the Cavaliers... Make a trade back up. Yes, I don't think that's going to be your starting small forward, though. Or at least it really shouldn't be. But it's pretty clear the Cavs are looking to get aggressive to get back into the first round to possibly do something. And again, I would have to think it's about small forward. Maybe maybe a backup power forward. But again, why would you trade that for the first round? That doesn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense to me on paper for the Cleveland Cavaliers is they need to really get this small forward wing situation figured out. So getting one in free agency and drafting another one to me makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, that's what the Cavaliers should do. The NBA draft is this week. Like I said, we'll have a lot of recap. It should really kick off free agencies. It normally does. Wouldn't be surprised. We start hearing some ramped up rumors about what the Cavaliers are going to do in this off season. There's a whole list of, there's, there always are, there are a whole list of wings. Now, there are other teams who are also looking to get aggressive about getting a wing. The Indiana Pacers are talking to clubs about trading out of their lottery selection to get a wing in small forward. This is a prized, prized player position on the floor. Cavs are going to have to get aggressive, have to get creative on how they are going to bring said player into the Cavs organizations. They need two. Again, they don't need just one. They need two. Because really the Cavs right now, if you were being truthful and honest, they have five players you feel comfortable playing in an NBA playoff setting. I think you have five. And even one of those, I don't know if I have confidence right now. But, okay, Mobley, of course, Mitchell, of course, Garland, of course. Allen, you would hope he'd improve, so yes. And Karis Avert. I think those five you can take into the playoffs and play major minutes. Cavs only have five. I don't think you can do that with a curl. You can't guarantee that with Osmond. 
You can't guarantee that from Lamar Stevens. That's where the Cavs are at. Cavs have to figure out how to get two small forwards to round out that rotation. That makes seven. And you add in your bench guys and away you go. Ricky Rubio, who I thought at one point would make or break this, the Cavs and make him better. He didn't really do that. You, you're hopeful about Ricky Rubio in this offseason. I won't forget him, but he took a major step back. Let's see if he can – let's see if it's just injury. It could be just injury-related. We'll see. But he looked very – oh, my gosh, that's very different. We'll have to see. Cavs NBA draft this week. We'll recap, look through it. We'll be doing a lot of stuff on BelieveInTheLand.com throughout the week. Check it out. Remembering the 2016 Cavs, never forget. Changed my life forever as a fan. Changed my life forever as a career filmmaker. Always will never forget 2016 Cavs. We all should have. On 6-19-16, it changed our fandom and changed the city forever. Really did. I thought it changed the city. Became Camelot for a day. We celebrate 2016 NBA Cavs. We also look at the Guardians. Tristan McKenzie, sad. Oh, love that kid. Bad news. He's injured. Could, I think he might be out. Just guessing. Looks like it's the kind of injury that you're going to be out till September. What does that do to Shane Bieber rumors? I say it's not as easy to trade him now. Looks like they're going to go two and four on this road swing, but they're still only two games back in the loss column of the Twins if they end up winning, which looks like they are. And then finally, finally, Cleveland Cavaliers NBA draft this week. My name is Andy Billman. Check out BelieveInTheLand.com, Instagram, at Official Cleveland Sports, YouTube, Believe in the Land. Have a great day. Be back on here next week. Thank you.